Pain Talk, a podcast for patients living with pain and those that care for them. Now here's your host, palliative and emergency care physician, Dr. Maureen Allen. All right, welcome back, everyone. We're going to continue our podcast on cannabinoids. It's a very, very controversial area, talking about medical marijuana. So what we talked about last week was looking at the rules and regulations, primarily for physicians. Now we're going to get into a little bit more about the cannabinoids. So what they are is a class of chemical compound that can act on a, the cannabinoid receptors. So there are many, many different cannabinoids that are out there. And in fact, we talk about this effect called the entourage effect, where you kind of bring all these cannabinoids together to get a very specific effect that someone is looking for when they're using cannabis. But the two big ones that we need to talk about are THC and CBD. So THC is that psychoactive uh, cannabinoid. So that's the one that can cause that euphoria, call that cause the psychosis or an altered perception, whereas CBD is more about the anti-inflammatory effect. If we look at the plant the way Mother Nature intended, is that there is a balance between THC and CBD. So CBD actually helps to reduce the negative effects that can happen with THC alone. So it helps to balance out that brain chemistry. As we know, though, the plant is being cultivated and changed, and the potency of THC seems to be going up. And in fact, the trend that's happening is this divide between THC and CBD. So THC potency is increasing, and that is primarily because of tolerance, uh, while the CBD component is actually decreasing. So that is a concern uh, that we need to also uh, recognize. So when cannabis is being, you know, used or dispensed, there's often this ratio that we talk about, the CBD and THC ratio. And this really is what gives the plant uh, that therapeutic effect. So it can be cultivated to look a certain way. So when you're going into Nova Scotia Liquor Corp, wanting to buy your cannabis, they have, you know, different kinds of effects that you're going to see. So the more psychoactive uh, state is going to be that higher THC with very low CBD, whereas that anti-inflammatory is going to be higher CBD and very low THC. So Ideally, though, what we want people, especially if they're not users of cannabis on a regular basis, to start very low and go very slow. So going to a THC concentration of 17% in someone that doesn't use cannabis could be really not a good, a good thing. In fact, I would argue that it's not a good thing. We're going to look at the cannabinoid receptors. We're going to look at where cannabinoids are found. So we're going to look at the endocannabinoid uh, system. We're going to look at the plant-based system and also synthetic cannabinoids. So those that are made in the lab, whether they're legal or illegal uh, or made for research. So where are cannabinoids found? We just mentioned they're actually found in our body. So the human-based, we call that endocannabinoid system. There's plant-based cannabinoids. So these are the phytocannabinoids and there are lab-based, which are made commercially and are made on the street or in the illicit uh, marketplace. So the endocannabinoid system, so we talk about CB1 receptors and CB2 receptors. I'm not going to get into very much depth there, but your CB1 receptors are primarily found in your brain and your central nervous system. Your CB2 receptors are found in the endocrine and the immune system. And it's from these 
different sites that many of the claims around the benefit of uh, of cannabinoids has been made. So now what we're trying to do with the legalization is really look at where we can find the evidence and uh, be able to use these substances safely. So the phytocannabinoid is the plant. So if we look at the phytocannabinoid generally in the plant. So cannabis is the genus, and marijuana is the species, hemp is the species. So there are three major plant forms. There's sativa, indica, and then there's ruderalis. So ruderalis is not something that you're going to see used as much in uh, Nova Scotia. It is uh, primarily from uh, the Russian state. Um, Very low THCs. It doesn't really have much recreational use. Sativa is more from the equatorial uh, center. It's very tall and thin plant, mostly an outgrowing plant. And then there's indica, which is a short, wide, ingrowing plant. So, you know, that you'll often see sativa-based, uh, indica-based. So these are just the different types of plant form. So if we look at Marijuana 101, so the bud or the flower actually comes from the female plant. So generally for medical marijuana, they're looking at the bud or the flower. It's not the leaves that they're using. So from that bud or flower comes fresh cannabis, dried flower, oil. There also comes other forms that are made, and people have been using like hash, shatter, butter. There's all kinds of different forms that are out there. And there can be varying concentrations of THC um, and uh, CBD that are in those forms. For example, shatter is a very high concentration of THC that is not used medicinally. It's primarily used recreationally. But we are seeing more and more shatter, especially in the chronic pain population. And these are often individuals that are very tolerant of cannabis. But we don't have the evidence that says using 84 to 94% THC is a good thing for our brain yet. So that makes me a little bit concerned and, and also very cautious, will often bring a lot of caution to patients. So the leaf isn't, as a rule, used in medical marijuana, but it is used in the hemp plant. So what is hemp? Hemp is an industrial strain of sativa, and the plant is primarily cultivated for its fiber. It, almost, it has almost no THC, so 0.2%, but it may have CBD, so anywhere from 2.5% or up. So it's often used and vaporized a fair bit in the university crowd, so uh, it is something that uh, you can get from these vape shops. It is legal. It's also legal in the States, which has created some challenges for the FDA around regulation. And if you're really interested in watching a um, a, a nice um, documentary on CBD, sort of the CBD buzz, it's CNN and Dr. Sanjay Gupta has a really interesting uh, podcast that really opens this up a little bit more and, and how we need to be able to rein some of this in around regulation so that people know what they're using. It is so common for people to use the CBD, um, because CBD for many people feels safe. It doesn't feel that you're using something illicit, in an illicit way. Sorry, my my language's not great today. So CBD is something that pulls people into using it, but when you actually examine it, the substance that they're using, there is no CBD in it, or it's very high in THC. And Dalhousie University actually did this, actually sampled what was out there, what people were using, and what they found is that it didn't correlate 
to what patients were buying and what uh, they were actually getting. So it's really important. So this is why the regulation is so important, that people know what they're actually using. So how you use cannabis, uh, it also determines the effect. So that's the pharmacokinetics, so the delivery routes. So when you smoke it, uh, it tends to come on very quickly. Um, If you're eating edibles orally, it's going to take a lot longer. And that's one of the problems that we're running into with edibles is that individuals who have been using cannabis for a long period of time, now they know the edibles, but someone that may not know edibles, so they're looking for that effect, they're not getting the effect, so they take more of the edible and then they hit a wall because they've taken too much. The other place that we're starting to see this is in pets as well as in small kids who are finding it in in either the gummy bear form or the chocolate bar form. So once edibles start to become more legal, we're going to start to see an increase in emergency department visits. We're already seeing it now. There's some really interesting data that's come out of um, Alberta around the uh, increase that we're seeing uh, uh, primarily related to edibles through the emergency room. There are also topicals. I'm not really sure how much absorption we're actually getting from the topicals. It's very difficult to, uh, to track that. So there's uh, also different ways that it's used in the illicit marketplace. So dabbing would be a great example where you're taking something like shatter, uh, which to me looks like the same kind of formulation that you would see somebody's making uh, maple syrup candy. So it's sort of that that yellow, clear, see-through kind of um, substance that they can break off pieces. And what they do is they heat it up in a bong. Uh, So, and they've vaporized this in a very, um, so there to to get their effect. So it's a very, very high concentration of THC. Um, It's it's concerning, especially what we're starting to see, especially in young people, is that because the THC and the cannabis generally, THC or CBD, whatever the cannabinoid, it's very lipid-soluble. So it gets into the brain, it gets into the tissue, takes a long time to leave. So kids where it's caused psychosis, and this is the main cause of psychosis that we're seeing is shatter, is that they're staying in this psychotic state for days. So shatter we need to be concerned about, especially if someone is very cannabis naive, they're not used to using cannabis a lot, they have to be very cautious. So CBD oil, there's a ton of buzz, and I do recommend uh, Sanjay Gupta's, Dr. Sanjay Gupta's um, uh, CNN documentary on CBD oil. It's very, very informative. Uh, lots of buzz. Uh, people can use it in different forms, topical, vaporized, in an oil. Um, now, here's the challenge, is that there are no recommended daily intake uh, recommendations from the FDA. And in fact, CBD is actually viewed as a dietary supplement. Um, So the amount of CBD varies in products that people are getting. We don't have the kind of evidence that we need yet to give patients the uh, information that they need on how to use this. So what we do recommend is that people start very low. Now, we've recently had FDA approval of one product from CBD, and that is in uh, its uh, Epidiolox. It is a medication that's used for refractory seizure in kids. So that has been approved by the FDA. So this is the very first approval from the FDA around cannabis. Because right now, cannabis actually does not have, it's not recognized as a pharmaceutical in Health Canada. It doesn't have a DIN number. Just like the CBD oil is actually seen as a dietary supplement. So this is where it even though people are using it as a pharmaceutical, it doesn't. it's not recognized in Health Canada actually as a pharmaceutical. And CBD is actually seen as a food additive. 
So factors that determine the dose when you're when you're making some recommendations around cannabis is the concentration, which is really expressed in milligrams. So the strength is recommended in milligrams. The dosage, which is the total amount of CBD THC per serving, and also the percentage. Other factors that you need to consider when you're making some recommendations around cannabis is what is the body weight of that individual? What are you actually treating? So what is the desired effect? And what is their tolerance? Someone that is not a frequent user is going to have very different tolerance than someone that's been using cannabis from a very young age. On average, the average joint is about 0.3 grams, but obviously that's going to change as well. So how do you do the math around some of this? So if you're looking at uh, dried flour, 70% of THC, so 17% per gram. So how many milligrams is that? So one gram is 1,000 milligrams. So 1,000 milligrams times 0.17 is 170 milligrams. So 17%... Um, is equivalent to 170 milligrams. There's lots of uh, information online that could be helpful. Really good uh, information from RX files. So that comes out of Saskatchewan. So if people are interested in looking at that information as well, I'll put some links to some of these pages just on some resources on cannabis. But there is lots of good resources that are out there right now. When you're looking at uh, THC oil or CBD oil, so um, if you're, and this is something we're seeing more and more in the elderly as well, so how much is, you know, uh, you've got THC of 26.2 milligrams per mil, so what, you're going to drop one drop into a tea, so what is the percentage of THC that that patient is getting in each drop? It's about 2.62%. The other thing is looking at how, um, you know, if you're if you're putting more than 0.5 of a gram or if you're doing 1.5 of a gram, you know, in a joint or per joint, so how much THC is that? So, so if you've got THC 20%, um, how much THC could you receive if you smoked a 1.5 gram per joint? So 1.5 gram is equivalent to 1,500 milligrams. of THC, it's equal to 0.2, so 1,500 milligrams times 0.2, it's about 300 milligrams of THC, which is a lot. So 1.5 gram joint is a big joint. So that's not something that we would recommend. In fact, we don't recommend that patients actually smoke their cannabis. Some people make it into edibles. So if you're going to make something like brownies and the patient has 20% THC or the patient is using 20% THC, so they're going to decarboxylate a 10-gram container. What is the maximum amount of THC in each brownie? So 10 grams is equal to 10,000 milligrams. 10,000 milligrams times 0.2 is equal to 2,000 milligrams of THC. You divide that into 12, the patient's getting about 166 milligrams of THC in each brownie, which is a fair amount. So that's, and you, there's all kinds of ways that you can actually do this math online. So it's really finding out, and, and when you go to um, the liquor store, when you get it from, you know, the uh, licensed producers, these are things that um, we need to, as prescribers, to indicate on the medical documentation. So I tend to use very low concentrations of uh, THC. So if I'm looking at somebody who is opioid naive, or sorry, who's cannabis naive, um, I would be starting at a very low percent, maybe 1% THC with 0.2%. So very, very low concentrations, and then just, you know, gradually increasing that. And the other thing that's important in these medical documentation is that you don't have to give it to the patient for a year. In fact, there's no pharmacology that we would recommend for a year in a patient. Generally, especially high-risk pharmacology like cannabis, is you want to get them back to reassess them. So you can actually write it for, you know, two weeks 
weeks. You can write it for a week. You can write it for a month. Get the patient back and reassess them and make the adjustments that you need. All right, so we're going to talk about synthetic cannabinoids. So these are the ones that are actually made in the lab. So there are different groups. So you've got the legal pharmaceutical that is a controlled substance. You have the synthetic cannabinoids that are made for research. And then you have the designer drugs or the illicit drugs that are out there. And those are the most dangerous. So if we think of the two most common legal controlled substances, the two most common ones, which are synthetic, are Nabilon and Stativex. So Nabilon is basically a CB1 and 2 agonist. Uh, the other name is Sesamet. Um, the important thing is that if your patient is on Nabilon, and typically the dosing starts at 0.5 milligrams to 1 milligram, is that um, if you're doing any urine drug testing, the urine drug test will come back negative if someone is using uh, Nabilon. So if it comes back positive, that means the patient is al also using probably plant-based. Stativex is the spray that's out there, but it's very expensive. There's some actually interesting studies that have come out now around the treatment of um, cannabis use disorders and the use of Stativex uh, and Nabilon to help manage the cravings and withdrawal. But it is very, very expensive. So Stativex is a phytocannabinoid. That means it's plant-based. So it's a very small concentration of THC and CBD. So THC is 2.7, CBD is 2.5. And on average, patients use between four and six sprays per day. Most healthcare plans do not cover it. It's very expensive. So the uh, designer drugs that we're seeing out there, so um, these are synthetic cannabinoids, uh, K2, Spice, very unpredictable, very, very dangerous. Um, actually, uh, Dr. Sanjay Gupta in his in his uh, documentary uh, sort of um, carries a young patient uh, who purchased what he thought was CBD oil at, at a, a corner store. And uh, within a couple of uh, couple of puffs of this particular, through a vaporizer, the kid ended up in, intubated in ICU. So got very, very sick and survived. So there's a really good paper uh, written by Tornbed, T-O-U-R-N-E-B-I-Z-E, -E, I can't say that name, looking at the acute effects of synthetic cannabinoids. There was an update done in 2015. I'll put a link to that article. It's very good and very sobering in terms of looking at the synthetic cannabinoids and how dangerous they really are. So we're going to stop there, um, and what we're going to do is pick it up again next week, and we're going to explore some of the evidence and talk about some of that data that I'd mentioned previously released by Health Canada, looking at the trends that we're seeing, both the good trends, the bad trends, and the pretty ugly trends. So we'll end it there. Thanks for joining me, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Pain Talk. To learn more about our podcast and to find links mentioned in today's show, please visit our website at paintalk.ca.